Okay, welcome back to uh, our second stream today, uh, Breaking Absolutes. Uh, I have been waiting for a long time to have this conversation um, with Lindsay Bishop. Um, I've been fascinated for years uh, on the research that we see sort of petering out through some of the regular rock trades, um, whether it's Blabbermouth or Metal Sucks or uh, lots of places. And they seem to recycle some of the same stories about how um, metal fans are more faithful to their partners. Um, they're more, you know, better work-life balance. There's, there's a bunch of these things. And um, they always, I think, get clicks from metalheads who want to just sort of raise their fist and say, yeah, you know, and, and I, that's legitimate. Like, I, you know, I feel that way just uh, instinctively. Um, but I think it's really, uh, there's people that are doing real anthropological research on this, and I think it bears us having conversations about it. Um, it, it, as a as a point of interest uh, and a point of, of learning and understanding. And so I, in digging around uh, on this, reading about it, I found the website uh, for Lindsay and went through reading it. And I, I tried to find as much information about her research as I could uh, to frame some questions for today. We can't possibly do justice to everything that she has done and is doing. So we'll just we'll just hit some topics today and then if it's interesting, you guys should, I think, go go search it out. Um, what I've gleaned, and, and Lindsay will correct me when we bring her on, is um, she's a doctoral candidate at the Department of Anthropology at the University of College London, um, where she has um, done several different research papers around metal subculture. Um, so let, let, let that be uh, our setup, and we'll bring her on and, and begin. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello. I'm, uh, I'm it's glad. quite an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, it's not surpri- It shouldn't be surprising that there there are bright minds um, like yours that are looking more deeply at some of these topics. Um, but it's rare, at least in my experience, to have the opportunity to talk to them or to have. Uh, um, I don't really consider myself a journalist per se, but to have people who are interested in the music and interested in the people who share the music. Um, you know, what underlies that and what, what brings them together, because it's kind of broadly, I think, um, accepted that um, metal, the metal community is very welcoming. Um, now, I know that there's a lot of contraindications to that, but I can give so many personal anecdotes of places where I would have been unwelcome, but on the strength of um, a shared li- uh, interest in a band, we became friends, you know. Um, and I think that that can happen with any genre, but metal's a particularly interesting one. Um, and I think, and a particularly strong one. And you, you'll either disabuse me of that notion or <laughs> you'll confirm it for me. Um, but what I'd like to start with is um, uh, some of your research in, uh, is at least one of the, I don't know if this is a doctoral thesis or if it's just a research study uh, you have called Smoke, Smell, and Skins, Hierarchy and Heavy Metal. Yeah? Did I get that right? Uh, uh, heavy metal performance, but yes. Heavy uh-huh. metal performance. Okay. <laughs> Um, I want to, I want to start there, um, if we can, uh, and then there's, you've done so many, we could spend hours, but I'd I'd like to spend some time on that one. And then there's another one, um, that I'd love to touch on. Uh, I think you called the dread of difference, subculture, semiotics, and identity. I get that one, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, I am not a, a PhD, so I am happy to be corrected on any and all of this. Um, but, but let's start at, start at uh, with uh, smoke, smell, and skins. Um, so, uh, from what I was able to glean in my reading, this thesis explores the internal hierarchy of heavy me- the heavy metal community in the UK. Is it um, is that accurate? No, oh. no, uh, actually, <laughs> no. The uh, research um, in the field uh, when it, it just it went away from me, so it spread through to Europe. Oh. Uh, and so that's that's kind of what we do in anthropology. We just follow where uh, the the research takes us. So, uh, and in saying that, um, a lot of the musicians and just uh, non musicians, just metal uh, members of the community, were from all over the world as well. So it certainly wasn't just limited to the UK. There was people from America and Canada and China. Um, so it's it's quite. It's quite far reaching, to be honest. But as far as performance goes, what I witnessed um, went from the UK mostly. 
um, but there were a few tours that took us to uh, the to Europe as well. Okay, that's great. So before we get into some of the the deeper questions about it um, and the research itself, um, share with us kind of like the process. Like what what are the what is the data that you're gathering to inform um, you answering some of these questions about metal subculture? Well, for me. Um, I've been researching metal since uh, I was on an undergrad, to be honest. Um, that was my final year dissertation. Um, and so when it came to doing the PhD, I was trying to find like, what do I focus on? You know, cause heavy metal takes over your life, you know, you, your work, your house, your car, you know? Um, and I'm thinking, oh, what is it that's really interesting to me? Um, what do I want to know more about? And that's when I thought, well, the PhD is giving me this, the time and the space to really get to grips with performance. And performance, as anyone in metal would say, is the most important part, isn't it? It's like, that's what we live for, is to see your band live. Um, and so that's why I thought, right, we'll focus on performance. What is it about heavy metal performance? And when I say heavy metal, I mean in the whole, in the round. So that's the thing that I was keen on. It's like what unites all these different subgenres as well. Because there's a lot of studies that look at extreme metal. You know, it's a favorite because of, for obvious reasons, um, you, know, uh, you know, black metal and extreme metal have, have done, as, as communities grow, they're quite, I mean, close in the name, extreme. But uh, I think there's something really interesting to see in heavy metal performance in the day-to-day -day lives of the people who, you know, don't make it into the newspapers, um, you know, who, who are away from, from those sort of um, more sensationalist areas. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I'm looking for. It's like the commonalities. That's um, what unites, what unites all these different heavy metal performances. Why is it spread throughout the world? You know, we start in Birmingham in the sixties and now it's, you'd be hard pushed to find a country in the world that hasn't got, you know, at least a small heavy metal following and, I think there's it's the performance it's it's down to is uh, there's something really special about it. Okay, so um, so I it's definitely true that I've I've done some touring as a vocalist and I it was largely in Germany and Greece and um, uh, there's a there's at least one tradition that some metal folks have of once they see a group perform they make sure they get the patch and then it goes on a jacket or something and they wear it like 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 flying colors from from a you know a, a gang, um, that's a bad analogy, um, but but it's it's certainly a, a point of pride. I was there, you know, type of thing, um, because one of the things that I I read is you talk about that the the culture, um, the capital is formed and cultivated through participating in the events. Um, so t um, tell us more more about that. Like, it, what has your research helped you understand better about how or why it is that when two people share a concert experience together for a band that somehow there, there's some sort of community or bond that's created? I think that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, and it's something, you know, I, as a met, I, you know, someone who's been listening to metal since I was a teenager, um, I thought I was quite sort of naive and arrogant when I was going into this research, thinking that I had a pretty good handle on these, these sort of basic things um, going in. And it wasn't until I started having to go to performances and think, well, as a researcher, I start to notice things that were different um, that you don't, because you're so swept up uh, when you're at a gig anyway. And so it was like taking that step back was really, was really tricky and really interesting. And I think, you know, when you look at, the different things that we do in the audience, you know, um, crowd surfing, um, mosh pits, circle pits, uh, Walladeh, all of that. It's, it's all of these things need a group of people, a large group of people to be successful. You can't crowd surf, you know, try as you might with, with, a, with a small crowd, <laughs> you know, you need, you need the, the strength of many. And so that's the, that's what I think is really interesting here. It's, they're, they're physical representations of the need for community, for the needs for multiple people. And the act of doing these things, you know, you're putting faith um, in strangers, essentially. And there's something quite profound, I think, about doing that, you know, or getting into a mosh pit and, and violently engaging with each other. I mean, there's there's a bond that's going to happen there. Um, and it's it's fascinating. And I think 
but even outside of that, those are really easy examples to use. Sure. Um, I was never one for mosh pits or anything like that. And I've always felt that, um, you know, I, I prefer to be at the front. I want to get the best view I can because there's always some tall guy that's going to stand in front of me. So the closer <laughs> I am to the front, the more I'm not just going to spend a gig in some guy's armpit. Um, and when you're so pressed up against other people, I mean, you, and, and there is that intensity and when the surge, you know, happens when the, the band come on stage and I don't know, they, you, you, you inevitably, when you're, you're physically that close to someone else, you're going to feel a bit of a bond, but you've gone through this experience as well. This is quite frightening if you think about it. No one can hear you. It's, you're in near pitch blackness. You've got this ferocious noise happening at you. You know, you've got mosh pits and crowd surfers, and I just feel like you do feel like you've gone through something. Yeah. Not bad, but it's an intense physical experience, and that, and you, you know that you've shared it, and you know you're there for the same reason because you both love that music. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the bond comes from. Yeah, I, I don't participate in mosh pits myself, but one, one of the things that I've seen and find remarkable is, um. And not that I'm sure there haven't broken out like legitimate brawls, but usually what I find is as much aggression as you see displayed, if someone falls, the people around them immediately get them to their feet so that they're safe in the context of the aggressive behavior that they're displaying. And so, and, and at the end of it, people walk away. So, uh, it, you know, from the, an outsider having no understanding would think that this is savagery, you know, and, some, and, and can, would condemn the genre. Um, but unless you're a participant or at least a part of it to understand, um, you know, you might not see that gesture of kindness inside this very turbulent moment, right? It's really, it's really remarkable. It's, it makes me very proud. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love those stories. It's, it's, um, when I'm, when I'm talking to people, so, um, you know, field work consists of, yes, it's the tours and a lot of people want to listen to stories about that because it's kind of interesting, but also, I've spent hours upon hours sitting in living rooms talking to people about music um, and everyone's got a story about their first mosh pit and it's it's, it's always the same story to, to, to varying degrees because everyone has an idea of what a mosh pit is before you experience one. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear the rumours and you hear, you know, violence and, and whatnot and everyone's got the story of where they go in thinking that it's just about being violent um, and get taught by someone who knows better and no uncertain terms no 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 no. that's not what we do here um and i think that was one of the big points that i'm i really want to emphasize um within my research is this idea of um it's heavy metal isn't just for white adolescent boys um and i mean for so many years that's what it's been pegged as um and you know within all the uh, audiences that I've been researching the age variation is massive and there is that communication between people who know better people who've been to plenty of gigs you know these are the, the folk that are teaching you to pick someone up when they fall down and teaching you not to hit people not in the mosh pit and you know and I think that again that you know that that communication of etiquette and you know, kindness and solidarity and community. I think that is fundamentally one of the defining characteristics of heavy metal. Like you say, it's 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 very welcoming and opening. It doesn't look it to someone who doesn't understand, yeah. but it is. If you if you have a love of the music, then you're welcome. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it. I think it 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 extends even beyond the performance experience, you know, um, I, I, my, myself and my community, uh, you, you know, anytime someone's wearing a metal shirt, um, you, it, there's a, immediately kind of a, a shared understanding. You could, conversations can be struck up on the strength of the fact that this person is wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt, you know, um, and I've seen it happen. Um, but I want to, uh, you know, and we could talk a lot about that, but I want to go back to the performance since that's um, clearly an area you've studied a lot. It, you talked about a sort of vicarious physical um, participation in music with a mosh pit uh, or something of that nature. But, um, and so let me tell a quick story to demonstrate a, another way and see if, if this bears out in what you've studied. Um, a couple of my favorite groups did a tour some years ago. It's Queen Dryken, Dream Theater. 
And um, it was kind of a super, it was a tour a lot of progressive metal fans always wanted to see. And I live in Seattle, and Queensryche is local to Seattle, and the bands would trade who would headline night to night, depending on which city they were in. And um, I went to see them both in Portland and Seattle because I could drive there. And um, when they came, and in, and in Portland, Dream Theater, it seemed like they just went to another gear. They're such technically amazing musicians, and they just kind of owned the night. But when we came into Seattle, where and it was the last stop on the tour, and Queensryche was playing, um, Dream Theater came out first, and it was almost as though they knew that they were on Dream Theater. Or, uh, 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 Dream Theater came out first, and it was almost as if they knew they were on Queen Drake's stomping grounds, and and they just put on a display, uh, uh, just a display of musicianship that was I, I don't think I've ever seen again. So Queen Drake came out, and they're the headliner in their hometown, and the first three tunes were a little flat. Not not I mean in terms of performance, the audience just wasn't. And then there was, th and I was on the front row because I always make sure I'm on the front row for those guys. Um, a moment came, they played this uh, tune called Empire. It was the third song. And um, uh, Jeff Tate and that band just took command of that room and something electric happened. And everybody felt it. The, the entire tone of, of who was going to own this night as the better band, as the more exciting band, as the band that you would remember changed. And it was, it was, um, it was uh, like, it's, it's ineffable, but it's also undeniable because everybody I talked to, even today who was at that concert, was like, oh yeah, when they hit empire, everything changed in that room. Is, is your research suggest anything about shared performance experience, even if it's just a, an emotional thing and not a physical thing? You mean between musicians? No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, um, in, in the audience. So we talked about the mosh pit, but like um, people who are just I I as witness to, to a music experience and having an emotional response that somehow creates uh, a bond, a shared bond. Is that, is that outside your researchers and what you've found equally applied there? No, that's, I would say that that hits the nail on the head uh, perfectly. Um, so one of the so obviously um, because of my focus on performance, I've been doing a lot of research into academia um, of performance in general outside of heavy metal, and I found, you know, just the the contrast between heavy metal and traditional performance. I don't know if you think about um, like pop performances or even theatre. There's always this very clear divide between um, who's on stage and who's in the audience. You know, you don't go you know, and shout, you know, who's behind, uh, he's behind you when you, when you go and see Hamlet. Um, whereas in heavy metal, you are, I think, I, I would say, my, what I'm, I'm positing is that the goal is to break down that fourth wall between the audience and the performer. Um, that's a successful show. That's a successful heavy metal show is to break that down, to, to connect with the musicians and the musicians feel the same way. Um, you know, that's, you know, um, when you get crowd surfing and you, you know, you throw a t-shirt to the singer, um, or you hold hands with them. But also, um, I had the, the privilege of uh, doing some shows with Fear Factory during their uh, 20th anniversary demanufacturer tour. And one of the shows I got to film uh, from a balcony top down, and you can see how Burton C. Bell, the lead singer, uh, connects to the, to the audience. Um, at one point, he's actually conducting them. So there's this chorus in one of the songs, and he conducts them, and the noise was absolutely incredible. Um, but all through that show, it was just, it was crowd surfers, um, like making connections, throwing things, um, them throwing things back. You know, it's, it's very much that shared experience. It was a very special night. Um, and I think, that's that's what the that's what the musicians need as well as the audience, um, and that's what makes heavy metal show a successful one. If it's just, you know, it could be flawless. The musicianship can be can be absolutely spot on, but if there's no connection, then everybody <laughs> leaves a little bit depressed. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, and I think uh, you make a wonderful point. The um, one of the distinctive things about the genre, um, in fact, there have been times when I've heard rock and metal musicians eschew the idea that they're doing a performance um they don't want to call it a performance it's not uh not you know what they do is is 
um, different than that. I remember um, on a other on the other end of the sort of rock metal spectrum, uh, I went one time to uh, a Warrant concert, and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I I loved Warrant. I thought Janie Lane was an amazing songwriter. He came on stage that night. It was a triple bill with a couple of other bands of that era, and he w- had the flu. He was sick, um, and visibly so. But he, you know, show must go on type of thing, and he proceeded somehow to catch another wind and gave the single best frontman performance I've ever seen live. And, and, and he sat down like two-thirds of the way through the show and just started talking to the audience about how their energy and their participation, um, you know, propping him up as he was trying to give back to them the thing they came to see, somehow not mysteriously healed him, but gave him a reserve he hadn't known he had and uh, it was magical. It was magical to see him do that. And everybody was buzzing when we came out of that arena. It was a, you know, and some people still mock me. Oh, that's Warrant. I said, yeah, but you weren't there. You should have, you know, it was different inside that arena to see what he did. So I, I think I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I think um, I think that's, that's a really good point as well. Because I think it could be really easy to be cynical, you know, um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, musicians touring, especially within the record industry, such as it is, um, to like, you know, people are just cashing in, they're just trying to make as much money as possible, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, and I, I, I just, I, I don't recognize that at all. And anyone that I've, I've worked with from, you know, you've got tiny, um, you know, self-funded, noise bands who are clearly not going to they're not making music to to achieve a massive audience nobody's going to see that in arena but they still spend every spare moment every spare penny you know to be able to to tour and to share that music with people and um and there's something going on there that's not to do with money it's not to do with with capitalism and um and i think that you're right yeah that's that's that connection that the musicians get yeah it's the reason uh, you know bands tour um you know that that i think a lot of them there's a there's a practical necessity for sure um but i think most most of the musicians i know would say that that the experience of performing live before people is kind of second to nothing um um now one of the one of the things i feel like i read and you correct me if i've i've gotten this wrong is you make a suggestion that that the capital that as as we've described it that um uh, you know, a metal fan might might earn as a, as a consequence of um, participating and going to shows um, creates a hierarchy. What do you mean by hierarchy? Do, it are, do you think metal fans are stratifying themselves um, as a consequence of how many they've seen or who they've seen? Or did am I misunderstanding what you mean? I think, um, so the word hierarchy, it, it gets a bad reputation. Okay. Um, just because if you, you think about our hierarchy of like, you know, royal family or again capitalism and it, it you know be, it being um, associated with a, an imbalance of power. Um, when I'm talking about hierarchy, however, um, so there's there's a, a theorist, uh, Louis Dumont, who says whenever you it's, if whenever you recognize value, you are recognizing hierarchy so basically you're saying something is better than something else if it's got value um so that's fundamentally i'm not talking about like a pyramid where someone's in charge and everybody else is underneath it's just uh there are ways um to accumulate capital and so value you know that's a value sort of uh, measure uh in heavy metal and that's what i'm talking about hierarchy so uh, someone who is older, who's been in the community longer, who's seen more gigs, is going to have more capital than someone like a teenager who's just starting out, okay. you know. Um, and so, and, and like you said earlier, it does go beyond uh, the, the performance. So the performance is like the, the, the source of uh, a lot of this capital and a lot of the, the motivation to be part of heavy metal and to spend all this time and money and energy on it. But it does get taken out. You're right. You go to bars and you, you know, you make friends and you socialize. And those stories, you know, the scars you get from the gigs, um, uh-huh. the worn out T-shirts, all that stuff. Like, so that's that's all capital, and that's that's how we socialize. Like you say, but the Iron Maiden T-shirt, 
um, you know, that's that's not only are they conversation starters, but it's also like you're showing off. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, because you know those those t-shirts often have the uh, tour scheduling on the back, so it's it's a date stamp too. You know, I I was there. Exactly. So when when you say um, that the capital is communicated via daily life. Uh, in daily life via material indicators of longevity and embodied practices is that we're talking is that what we're talking about now yeah okay. yeah that's what i'm talking about um you know um i mean i remember when i was a teenager um some of my friends were trying to learn to play guitar or they were play- learning to play instruments uh because they love metal so much and so they would be comparing calluses so we're talking like <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're talking like yeah you've got no calluses you you're not you're not practicing as hard as i'm practicing or the guys when they're growing their hair long you know it's like oh my hair's longer than yours is you know the, there's it, it seems to be when you're when you're younger you're you know your capital is so low and you're trying to like scavenge up as much as you possibly can i think and I suspect an awful lot of uh, the unpleasant comments and whatnot that we can we can see in certain metal sites come from teenagers as well who haven't quite gotten that that confidence yet. I think once we get past a certain age, you sort of chill out a bit, and yeah. um, you know you just share stories, or you can it it the the competition isn't quite so bloodthirsty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I remember being singing at a festival in Germany and, um, you know, uncomfortable topics would, would arise, um, ideological topics. And what was really interesting is how easily um, this metal community navigated that without becoming um, polarizing or, um, you know, somehow talking down someone and and it felt like it was that was built on the strength of of something maybe even more important to them which was we we share this love of this music it was um i, I mean i want to grow maudlin but there's sort of a bond there uh for want of another term that seems like it's it uh, it bridges some some of the other really divisive gaps societal gaps is, is that consistent with what you found or am i talking out my head <laughs> No, it's, it's absolutely consistent. I'm calling it um, kinship, so that's an anthropology oh, term, really. But it is—it's like, like family, um, and that—that's—that's that's the way that so many people talk. It's—it's it's family. That word comes up again and again and again, um, and I think that's why I think. Um, so, for example, like what you're doing with uh, this show, and you know, directly sort of a- approaching the misconceptions of heavy metal is really important because. Yeah, it's it it does silly things sometimes. You can look at some of the album covers or the lyrics, and it, it does seem quite foolish. But fundamentally, it does provide a safe space for so many people across the world. Um, music is important to our, our mental health, to our sense of belonging, and the metal community is is giving a lot of people that. And I think the damaging reputation that it gets, it's not always unfounded. Granted, not everyone in this community is 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 somebody that I would want to associate with, but the the extraordinary um, bad reputation that it's got, you know, it's it's resulted in people being attacked. It's it results in people not being allowed to listen to music or associate with certain people, and you know, it takes away something that we love. And I feel like it's it it should be addressed because if you know, the, if someone is younger or they still live with their parents and they're not allowed to engage with their friends or not listen to the music they love or engage with the art that they love, so I think that's really, it's very, it's it's more than just depressing, it's, it's harmful. Yeah. And so it's important to be able to sort of show that heavy metal is more than just these, you know, Neanderthals that are represented <laughs> in the media. Well, so this is a, I want to come back to um the first set of research, but this is a good place to sort of, I think, um, talk a little bit about the second area of research, which I think we've drifted into, which was this subculture semiotics and identity, because one of the things I read, and I think was an abstract for uh, a paper or um, uh, a a talk that you gave, um, talked about the, you know, the subculture versus the, the mainstream culture. And it, it occurs to me that oftentimes what exactly happens, and, and I don't mean this just by, you know, national news syndicates and their misunderstanding of it and the sort of shorthand they use to stereotype, 
But even in Hollywood film, even in Hollywood film that pretends to talk about the culture itself, it becomes almost um, uh, a send-up of the thing it's supposed to celebrate. And on the inside, we, you know, we can watch it and, um, and love it and laugh at it and recognize the funny things. Um, but somebody without all the shared context would look at it and see something. T- their takeaway would be very different. And um, so I wanted, I w- was hoping you'd talk to us more about this idea of um, the, the metal sort of subculture and its relationship to mainstream culture, because it feels like that's where we were drifting with um, people not understanding it and therefore, you know, making decisions about it without without understanding it. Yeah, I think um, I, I totally share your your opinion there. Um, much as you know, I love Bill and Ted and Wayne's World, um, but it feels like that that's it. That's it's just the the, the media's press pause on that. Um, and 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 those are the lovable versions let's face it um it goes it goes a lot darker um and yeah it's it's constantly frustrating to me that it's it's not taken seriously like you say it's a send-up often even when it is trying to it's meant to you know be be maybe uh, giving a more honest representation which is again, incredibly infuriating. And I find it myself, you know, I'm, I'm in academia. Um, you know, I've, I've been to, I, I present my research at conferences when I'm obviously the only person talking about heavy metal. And you do get a lot of raised eyebrows because there is that kind of, that knee-jerk reaction is that, you know, it's, it's silly. Um, it's, or it's, it's dumb, really fundamentally, you know, um, a lot of other, you know, jazz has got an awful lot of intellectual uh, respect, punk as well with its politics, but heavy metal's always been this sort of um, just seen as the, the one that's not worthy of attention. Um, and it's, it's infuriating. I mean, that thankfully is changing now. Um, there are so many more researchers that are coming out and taking heavy metal seriously, which is it's so exciting. Um, but, you know, when you look at, you know, um, Sophie Lancaster, the West Memphis Three, there are very real world um, repercussions for this um, it's an ignorant understanding of such a vast community and um it is sometimes difficult for me to say no this should be taken more seriously but it should yeah um people's lives have been destroyed uh because of what is essentially a contemporary witch hunt let's face it um just based on um you know the uh, a dissimilarity taste in aesthetics you know you look at an album cover and you think oh well that must do what it says in the tin <laughs> like yeah. uh and it's 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 infuriating. Yeah. Um. Go. You keep going. No, no. On you go. On you go. Well, um, I was gonna say it. It would. I can understand. You know, when I put myself in an objective frame of mind, that looking at certain album covers, even even the um, insignias, uh, without any shared context, it can. You know, it's of a sameness with. Um, sometimes satanic imagery, um, certainly brutal imagery. Um, if you're a religious person, some, sometimes sacrilegious imagery. Like the the list goes on and on. And and but the truth is, I, I, with most of that stuff, it's part and parcel. It, it's not like you're talking to somebody who's doing sacrifices on the weekend. It, you're not you're not talking to somebody who um, you know really commits murder. Um, you know, not that these are the only themes, but they certainly do exist inside the genre. Um, so one of my questions there is, like, before we get to, like, others' reactions to it, um, is your study sort of um, helped you understand better why it is that some of the, the like, with death metal and black metal, the, the topics that they take, the imagery they use, the, the, the words that they use, um, uh, take these themes, even though these themes are probably not like their actual day-to-day practices as humans. I think the connect, yeah, I, I, I recognize what you're saying with the, the sort of darkness is the unifying aesthetic in heavy metal, sometimes a bit more tongue-in-cheek than others, you know, yeah. um, but yeah, there is always that kind of you know, um, ex- the, you know, we're, we're as a, a genre, we're characterized by extreme, 
you know, so it's it's the and the imagery and the lyrics are just as much as the music are going to you know, go to extremes. Whether you know, like music goes from you know a boom to being extreme slow um, to extreme metal, and it's you know how many beats per minute can you can you possibly fit in with human endurance? Um, I think the lyrics and the imagery go very much uh, hand in hand with that. Um, I couldn't speak to. You know, when it when it comes to extreme metal and you know when it comes to you know the more fascist uh, lyrics and imagery that are coming out of there, I I couldn't speak to them. Um, I've not actually come in contact with any of them. Um, and you know there have been other studies that have looked into that. Um, so that they would be better to to discuss it. I'm not really qualified. Well, but, sorry, go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say though is that. You know, from everyone that I have spoken to, one of the first things, yes, the music is 100% paramount, but actually the first thing that draws them into metal is what it looks like. It's always an album cover um, or uh, an older family member who's wearing a T-shirt or something. They're just like, I want to know what that sounds like. Mm -hmm. It's what the music looks like, um, these visual representations that more often than not are what draw people into this this um, community, which I found very surprising. I thought for sure yeah. it was going to be that you heard something in a movie or you know or whatever an advert or YouTube now for more than younger people, um, and yeah, there is that love of horror usually, um, or you know, a fantasy or these themes, these narratives, um, visual narratives that, that heavy metal seems to be drawn towards you know, that is the spark. That's the thing that first draws you in, um, which I find interesting because um, I share it as, as well. But sure. yeah, I think there's something really interesting in horror as when you look into horror as an, something that appeals to people um, and you think that horror narratives have been traditionally used to question the dominant societal rules. You know, it's it's there, it's taboo deliberately, it's to question these things. And I think the heavy metal community is nothing if not putting a big question mark on the way that we're doing things in the, the parent society. You know, this this idea of community and looking after each other is the antithesis of capitalism, if you think about it, and the individualism that we've got in contemporary society. It's it's more about being together and helping each other, which sounds very, very fluffy and adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I've witnessed. <laughs> Interesting. Um, gosh, there's so much to unpack there. So um, there. So what, one of the other things I do in life is I'm a, a fiction writer, and I've written my share of horror fiction. I've read extensively horror fiction. And there's, there's a couple of things that are kind of really interesting about it, and that is that in, in some way, at least in Western society, um, what, what horrifies – is, is usually trading on a shared stipulation to Judeo-Christian values. Um, there is an argument that it's about a rehearsal for death because we're all mortal, and that's, that's, a, that's a human condition. But in the same way that some of the, the Western, this includes Clive Barker, who is from the UK, um, you know, obviously Stephen King and a host of others uh, on this side of the pond, but outside that Western tradition, the same kind of horror stories just don't hold because they're not horrifying. They're not, they're not, they don't have anything to um, defy. Um, there's, uh, they're, not, they're not speaking of any you – know, the same kind of story wouldn't, wouldn't be horrific. So it makes me wonder, um, have you found in your, in your research that the, the, metal, the metal, if part of its function with some of this taking this darker um, thematic content – is a way to react to prevailing culture um, it, that the somehow it's treated differently in different parts of the world, like sonically or lyrically or with Im its imagery, or is that is that remain somewhat consistent by metal genre, like globally? I think globally, um, I think that's a really interesting point. Like the you know, the fictions, the horror fictions aren't going to resonate the same way in different communities. Um, and yeah, there is that really interesting history of um, uh, like a prominent horror narrative being a response to a collective fear in the community. You know, the, the traditional one being um, Frankenstein and the sort of fear of technology, um, Dracula and the fear of blood disease, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. that, makes, that makes total sense to me. Um, I think the 
it would be I would be fascinated to see like a really in-depth analysis looking at the aesthetics of um, different bands from different parts of the world and seeing if there's any shifts in the in the narratives and the topics that they deal with. Um, I've looked into some Iranian bands. Um, there's some, you know, and they've, they've very much got, uh, you know, a, a very difficult political situation that they're dealing with. Um, you know, there's there's bands on heavy metal, there's bands in moshing, um, you know, they're, they're very restricted. Uh, similarly, uh, Korea and China, you know, there's, there's countries around the world where, you know, heavy metal is, is not only deemed dangerous, it's illegal, um, and people face very severe punishment um, if they're caught uh, performing it. And so there was a band who, whose lyrics were very pro-Iran, but the music um, itself was still very heavy metal, and that didn't woo the authorities. They were still arrested, um, and they were still um, charged with being uh, blasphemous. Uh, despite the fact that the lyrics weren't actually saying that, but the music itself instilled that kind of fear wow. in the, the state, which I find very interesting. And I think in many ways, the the, the lyrics um, of a lot of heavy metal and the imagery is it is secondary. Yes, it's a draw, but the specific specificity of it is it's just dark and, and interesting and fun to look at. And it's actually, but it's the experience of the music that, that's the unifying factor that has spread heavy metal throughout the, the world. It's not really what it's saying, it's what it does. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a feeling that it gives you. And I think that feeling of dread that it gives people who don't understand heavy metal is also universal. And that's when you get the satanic panic and you get people from around the world, you know, terrified of it. Um, even when the lyrics aren't saying anything that dark, you know, um, I think there's something quite interesting there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this goes to part of your conceit around the subculture versus the mainstream culture, because um, one of my favorite groups is, is, as I mentioned before, Dream Theater. Um, and lyrically, they don't, they don't really take dark themes. They might take, the theme, take themes that are of loss, um, which is dark, but it's dark in a different kind of way. Um, usually, though, the themes are either um, story uh, or... Um, they're speaking to some sort of um, archetypal um, figure. And uh, so they said, and they're not the only band. I just use them as, as example um, of a, a very different sort of experience sonically, lyrically, and with the images. The images are usually almost puzzles um, with um, different kinds of, uh, 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 if you look at any of their album covers, there's always like these juxtaposed images that are suggestive of, themes inside the album and some some of them are crazy and some of them are really elegant um so it's it, but but dream theater still some of those riffs just sound like a metallica riff you know this is gets really heavy and so they get, sometimes sometimes they get put in the same pot with uh a, another band uh for when when viewed from the mainstream culture um so the question that, that popped up in my mind and this is kind of an i think kind of an er esoteric question but if the if the script were flipped and metal was the predominant music, would it still kind of enjoy like the the edge, you know, the 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 feeling it has of you know counterculture of of defiance of the working man, um, if it was the thing everybody listened to, um, and then something else would fill its place and th that need for us. Or is that is that way beyond the scope? And even if it is beyond the scope, I want your thoughts. <laughs> I've actually I've actually been thinking about this a lot, um, and this is probably quite a controversial opinion. Um, but I genuinely believe heavy metal would exist whether or not people liked it uh, outside or appreciate um, accepted it from the outside or not. Um, yes, there is that kind of cheeky element of you know some you know like band t-shirts that are shocking to people and there is some fun that you can take and how horrified someone can be um, by something that you love so much but I don't believe that people in heavy metal the music they make the the t-shirts with the imagery they love I don't it's not there to to you know throw a middle finger at anybody um fundamentally it's because we love what it looks like we love what it sounds like there is a genuine affection for for that 
for those aesthetics and for the music it's you know it's it, it's just it's it's it would be there no matter what i think um no matter how popular it gets i mean it was the the dominant music in the 1980s let's not forget in america it was the top selling genre um today there's i think uh, you know um, or at least um 2018 it was the top genre of music that was streamed around the world and so in many ways it is it's very close to um, yeah, yeah. not being like that that's sort of, uh, underground uh, community anymore um and yeah i think horror in in dark imagery is always going to question um the, the the state and the, the parent culture but like i said the you know the the content of the lyrics the specifics of what any band are are communicating is secondary to that noise and the feeling of the music itself it's i feel like words are just this the sort of vehicle just for the vocalist yeah. more than anything else um yes there can be beautiful narratives and and they can be very meaningful absolutely but i think and and yes, you do get political metal bands as well, but uh, you know there is no one politic political message in heavy metal. You know, you get people on the left and the right, and you get people who just don't do any um, political messages whatsoever. And it's it's you know it's just it's a vehicle. Yeah. Um, it's but the experience of the music is fundamentally that unifying thing. I think um, yeah. So I I don't think yes, it's offensive and upsets a lot of people. And that can be quite fun and it can be quite dangerous, obviously, as well. Um, but I don't think it's a primary motivator at all for the existence of heavy metal. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I think it's a style of music that, pe that um, musicians love to make. And there's certainly uh, an audience for it. It may not be the prevailing thing now. Um, it did. It did enjoy that. Although there was certainly in, in America, there was a real debate in the 80s about the difference between the quote unquote real metal and all of the then they we now call them hair bands it, that wasn't a, an extant term at the time um now it's what we use and in, and the communities embraced it you know because i think the community is willing to laugh at itself but um um there was this sense that that a lot of that stuff that was on the radio was wasn't metal so much as it was just that day's pop and you know at that it's, it's not worth debating that but um the point is, is it was guitar-centered rock, and it was dominating the radio waves. What I was trying to get at, um, which I probably did a poor job of framing, is um, if the if the stuff that we're talking about that maybe has more edge, um, that today with the T-shirts and the signifiers are a little more shocking. You know, they bounce off sensibilities as as you know, suggestive of of you know things that people might find harmful to society in terms of blood and aggressive behavior if that became the norm then would would there you know and and then, then that was just how we all thought music was and it wasn't shocking at all would you know this is a silly example but just to kind of make the point would something like folk music become the underground thing that the the counterculture the thing that was cool and edgy because it's shared by only those who somehow can appreciate it for the signifiers that it has you know what i mean i get you um <laughs> I, I love that thought <laughs> so music <becoming> <laughs> folk music is probably uh, already underground but yeah i don't know it's it's, uh, it's probably not an answerable like question but <laughs> <laughs> they should be ashamed of themselves <laughs> Well, then you get to folk metal. That's a, that's probably one of the smallest well, niches. True. Yeah. Oh man, that's so great. Um, let's I see. would I would hope you know what I would hope that that would that would be my dream is <laughs> is to see that future where heavy metal becomes standard and uh yeah, I I don't know um I guess that's that's when you're going into the different kind of hierarchy when it's like more of the pyramid type um, which you know it is it isn't that is recognizable in the music industry um so yeah if, if heavy metal had just taken over and everything else sort of, sort of trundled down um to, down the hierarchy to be less important um yeah i think i think yeah you could you could foresee um i suppose the the what would qualify something to become underground if heavy metal took over 
would be a lack of acceptance of heavy metal of other types of music. And so I would argue that that wouldn't exist because what I always have said is that the reason heavy metal still exists is because of this um, embracing of new um, technologies, new musical instruments, new cultures, like indigenous cultures, you know, like um, Sepultura, for example, bringing in uh, indigenous music to, that they've grown up with and, and putting their heavy metal twist on it and growing and expanding the music to, to make these new sounds within the heavy metal community is why it still exists. It's why it's not just a nostalgic thing that people from the 1960s remember because, you know, that was, it was associated with a the time then. So therefore, I would say, no, if, if, if metal became dominant, um, I don't think unless, you know, when you, you think about the, the sort of, uh, the extreme, again, I feel like I'm picking on extreme metal, but you know, they, they do have a history of gatekeeping, which is a mild term to, to put what, they, what they're like, and yeah. you know, their, their sort of responses to, to social uh, situations are quite um, uh, violent and, and restrictive, um, unless that was the kind of uh, the, the, the paradigm that they were progressing onto but if it was just heavy metal in general I think that would not occur it would just be it'd be very 1980s heavy metal it would just be more of a party <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting what you say is really interesting because I've seen younger metal musicians on YouTube and other places do like kind of funny videos about um uh talking about the different kinds of heavy what heavy is and and um it, it almost it almost intimates that the new heavy is what real heavy is when you know heavy heavy metal as it began with Sabbath and Deep Purple not heavy at all um, or at least by comparison and it's a silly it's it it, it, it does feel in some ways like um, someone who is younger trying to stratify and say look we've um, not standing on the shoulders of those who come before but um, we're the we're the real heavy. And sometimes that feels like not earned to me and it bums me out to see, even though the videos themselves turn into memes that are kind of funny on the, on YouTube. Um, but the, here's my last question. Uh, so that I, I don't keep you forever cause we could, and maybe we can do this again if you're up for it. Cause there's so much, there's so much to talk about in your research. Um, but what would have to happen for, uh, for mainstream culture to to flip from the, the the shocking reaction to blood-filled t-shirts or to the kinds of album Im imagery and even the music itself itself like i i don't think not that it was intentional but i don't think metal many of the the subgenres did did metal any favors with the extreme vocalizations that have grown up over the last 25 years um, I love them. Don't get me wrong. It's not. It's not about like or dislike or bad or good. It's just, it it went from um, music with maybe some some roughness in the voice as an expression of passion, um, but still based primarily on mel melody to something that feels well. We call them death growls, you know, sometimes. And so somebody without any context is going to hear that, and it's just gonna it's n it's gonna like it's gonna sound like what it sounds like. So the the question is like with these various things that sort of identify metal and increasingly so, cause there's more new metal metal core type of bands coming out now than there are melodic metal bands. Um, what would have to happen for, for mainstream society to, to for, to get over that bump um, to reduce the stigma, to re reduce the stereotype. Are there, not that that should be our aim. I don't think we're trying to appease anybody, but what would have to happen for that to, for us to kind of um, bridge the gap a little bit? Um, I actually have a, a good example um, of something that I think should be addressed uh, to, to help bridge that gap. Because like you say, um, when it comes to certain aesthetics and certain noises, people who don't get it are always going to be afraid yeah. um, or suspicious of people who do like it, especially when, again, you've got music that is sort of defines itself by its its capacity to keep pushing extremes. And like you say, I mean, that that's, that is one of the defining elements of heavy metal. It's why it still exists is because we're finding new ways to experiment with this sound that started with Black Sabbath. And, you know, you can, you can take it from there. It's, it's, um, but 
the way I think to, to begin to bridge that gap, when it gets so extreme that people are afraid and respond violently or where people are getting arrested, I think that's the main thing that should be um, addressed. And so there was two people who approached me um, to take part in my research, two heavy metal fans, one in Scotland, one in England, completely uh, unrelated to each other, but both of them are police officers. Um, and they both told the story about uh, if there's a big heavy metal show coming into town, there's a massive police presence always at the gig, mm. despite the fact there's absolutely no history, very little history. Um, you know, there's always going to be one or two, I'm sure. Um, but there's, there's no pattern of violence, of chaos, of destruction or anything uh, kicking off after a metal show. They, all, they, they know, as metal fans, that they're just going to be sitting waiting for a bunch of sweaty guys to come out and looking very happy um, and nothing happens. Whereas, um, you know, you've got a lot more um, sort of violent outbreaks and, and damage to property coming from different types of music, very different types of music that would, you know, traditionally sound quite cheerful, perhaps. Um, and so I think it's maybe the, one of the big things that should, I think, be addressed is the you know, if you're in a position of power, for example, with the police, this, within the state, there should be a recognition as well. Is there actually any violence resulting from this music? You know, is there any proof? Yeah. You know, when you, you know, when, when people are, you know, coming together to see this gig, you know, there's, there's clearly not um, a history of that. And that's, I think, the big thing that should be addressed. It's like, yeah, you can have a knee-jerk reaction, an emotional reaction to music and art. That's always going to be a freedom that everybody should enjoy. But when it comes to um, the oppression of, of people, to being arrested, to being accused of crimes, um, to being imprisoned, um, I mean, that all trickles down. Um, you know, if you hear about people getting arrested and, and put in prison because of, you know, the, the type of music they listen to and that makes yeah. them a bit of a worshipper, then that trickles down to the social kind of awareness of what heavy metal is and then you get these attacks happening um, and these these tragedies that occur and I think yeah fundamentally the state should be more responsible for its response to something that actually has no no bearing in, in reality. It's a really interesting question to me because as you're as you're talking um, what's going through my head is we have a perpetuation of the stereotypes um, part of this I, I, again I'm not a journalist um, but I've long been a fan of real, what I call real journalism, um, which I think there's a dearth of now. I think we live in what I call a karaoke culture, which is ironic for me because of what we're doing right now. But the idea that everybody just can have a platform and that their voice and critique is, is equally weighted. Um, it feels to me it used to be that, that there was a lot of rigor um, spent to join the fourth estate um, and to be able to articulate things and and base them in some kind of rationale. And um, so much of the information that gets disseminated now gets done in bite size and it gets done uh, to comic effect um, for, uh, you know, quick clicks and all of this kind of thing. And I'm not saying anything anybody hasn't said before, but the, the, the point I'm making is that it, it so easily perpetuates the stereotype. And so um, for folks like yourself that are trying to, I think, shine, shine a light on a reality, um, it, it, you know, it's not the kind of thing that gets reported a lot. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not as interesting, I guess. I don't know the reason. Um, but, you know, there are, there are genres of music, and this was the th other thing I was thinking while you were talking, that um, much more overtly talk about, um, uh, you know, violence against women, um, that talk about, of violence in general uh, that are really, really narcissistic. Like, like they start narcissistic. They don't even get there after they've earned the right to be narcissistic. And um, while metal isn't, isn't free of that, it's much freer. Than, uh, like it, that's not where it starts from. And if, there was, if we were to hold accountable genres of music for, um, you know, the messages that they, they give, not, and not just in the lyrics, but in the videos that are put out, um, it, it would be way down the list right now. Would you, would you agree with that? 
yeah, I mean, oh, there's, there's so much heavy metal out there. I, I feel like if I agree with that, I'm going to get an inbox full of, yeah. well, I think you'll find. <laughs> I know we're talking in, in general terms, um, but I, at least in the States, and I can't speak for the whole world, but like if I, if, if today I made a test case and I went and I just flip my radio as I drive around, the amount of sort of um, sounds and lyrical messages that I would get from different genres of music, I think um, would uh, would and and here's the other would would surpass what metal does in terms of the kinds of behaviors I don't think we should necessarily encourage. I believe in free speech, but I don't know that um, the first thing we should be listening to is is you know violence against women and glorifying violence against anything maybe. Um, but having said that, uh, it, it's um, I mean, and I, I, music should should be a free expression, but um, it just goes back to this idea that that, which I think is part of what you're researching, is that there's um, the the the, per, the stereotypes get perpetuated because it's it's kind of easy to perpetuate them, um, and it's harder to and maybe not nearly as interesting for people to to um, not being able to c- to continue to to keep you in the box they think you know you are in is that right yeah i think ab- absolutely it's so much easier to you know just once you have an idea in your head of what a certain group are and how they behave you it, it, you know that you do end up it's a common thing this isn't just for heavy metals for any kind of prejudice um or stereotyping you only then recognize what agrees with that perception um it just that the stuff that you see that um that comes you know that 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 chides with that is what gets stored in your brain and then you kind of dismiss anything that doesn't as anomalous um and that's just that's just seems to be a a bit of a human trait um and so yes it's difficult to sort of ask anybody to sort of question uh, or move away from that perception um i mean my hope is that given that heavy metal continues to expand um, and it's getting more and more popular, you know, more and more people are going to have, you know, through work, through family, um, you know, just, just existing on the planet, you're going to, you're going to meet someone who's into that music and they're, you know, you're going to end up hopefully um, questioning your beliefs and your, you know, your prejudices. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, um, within the world just now you know, prejudice is, is rife and yeah it's not an easy thing to to combat whatsoever and you know heavy metal is at least one of the few communities that should be should be worrying about that you know it's not like we're getting damaged the same way that many others are but um yeah it's um it seems impossible but i i have faith that as it grow, continues to grow and expand and as different communities and cultures and ethnicities of people and religions as well, let's not forget, um, start to, you know, get involved in heavy metal, make their own music, the, you know, it'll become less, it'll, it'll hopefully become hilarious that we used to look at, uh, you know, a, a type of music, a genre of music and be afraid um, of the people who listen to it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, I have this instinct that one of the ways that this happens is actually with the individual. Uh, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be someone um, at, you know, writ large coming to an understanding of metal. Oh, metal's good now, or I don't need to be afraid of metal now because I saw, you know, Lindsay and Peter talk about it. It's going to be the fact that um, they connect with someone that almost maybe violates their expectation of what metal is because they're a metal fan, but the person's cool. You know, I, I like so much about that person or they're, I see them in everyday life or I ha- have this other context for them. And this is just a part of who they are. And so I, I, I don't think that the genre at large is going to be the thing that, that makes the genre, that changes the genre perception for mainstream culture. I think, uh, I think it's going to be the conversations between people who ha- ha- hold the stereotype and people who violate the stereotype because they're part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was actually a, an anecdote from one of um, my my research participants who uh, was on a work night out for her birthday, 
finally got the chance to demand where they go. You know, it wasn't to, you know, the majority um, decide what pub or club that they go to. And she, she insisted on the local metal uh, nightclub. Um, and she's like, some people just flat out refused. Um, but the ones that did actually go, um, they ended up having a really good night and they relaxed and they danced, but yes. they were terrified to go in. And she was just, she was mortified. Like, what do you think goes on inside this building? What do you think that I'm doing? Um, you know, they just saw, you know, orgies and drugs and, <laughs> and blood and violence. And she's just, no, this is just the music we listen to. It's like, well, maybe not like any other club, but, um, but the fact that these people, they knew her so well and worked they were friends with her they were coming out for her birthday um but they were genuinely afraid to go into this nightclub and it wasn't it was just because they knew her that they experienced it well so it's not yeah. that's not what this is all about and yeah and it's it's yeah i think you're right it comes down to the individual and just sort of in that attitude of like why don't you just try it and see if you like it <laughs> it's yeah. like that seems so fundamental in heavy metal as well it's, you know if we're, we're more guarded and didn't want people to come and, and get right. involved, then, you know, that would that would be, make it scarier. But the fact that everyone's just like, oh, have a try. Yeah. <laughs> like, that should be, that should say something. And I think the the, the result, it could, it could be they just, they find that there's something they like. I mean, there's so many different flavors of metal. But, but that regardless of whether they decide they like it, um, it demystifies um, a bunch of these stereotypes when they get to participate a little bit, you know, um, yeah, I think that I think you know. So we should all just be, we should all be emissaries. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to tell you, just it, it, I can't believe it didn't occur to me before, and then I'll leave you to your day. Is um, in my other life, I, I I told you I write fiction, and I'm currently co-authoring uh, a new contemporary fantasy series with a, a writer by the name of Brandon Sanderson, and we uh, we've we've built this world. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a necromantic world, but we've based it in London, and the lead character is a metal singer. So uh, while I've been to London, when I used to work for Xbox, um, uh, you know, and I've done a bunch of things there, what I, the research I've done for this book is a ton on the, the music history of London, not only the metal uh, stuff, but certainly a ton of the metal stuff. So, like, um, I know where a bunch of the clubs are because um, I've set scenes there. Uh, I want to visit your version of Tin Pan Alley. Um, there's just all this stuff. So maybe if I ever get over there, uh, I'll hit you up and we'll you can take me to, to like one of your favorite um, haunts there. Like I've got a scene set in a club in Camden called The Underworld, um, which is a metal yeah. club there. Um, there's a, a place on, Manette, I think it's Manette Street called The Crowbar. I think it's closed now because of COVID. Uh, another metal, bar. they don't have live performance there, but but it's been... It's, it's so much fun to read about the, cult, the metal culture in another place. Um, uh, I don't know nearly so much about it as you do, um, but in, it, it's, um, it's been affirming to know that I've got metal brothers and sisters over there. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing. Um, so, uh, Lindsay, thanks so much for joining me. This has been so much fun um, to talk yes, to someone. Yes, it has. Thank you so much. So knowledgeable. Um, on so many topics here um let me let me play the uh, outro for folks stick stick on the line for one second and then and we'll drop okay thank you okay thanks cheers cheers 